Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so we are live. Welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. I'm delighted to say we are on episode number 39. And today I've been given out to a lot that a lot of my guests are male. So I, I, I have two wonderful women joining the podcast today, which I can't wait to introduce. So let's get straight into it. My two guests today are Geraldine Carton and Taz Kelleher. I hope, ladies, I've got the pronunciations right, have I? Perfect. Spot on. Perfect. Good. That's what I like to see. So if you do not know these two wonderful women, they are the creators of the Use Less Project, um, which was started in November 2018. Powered by energy, enthusiasm and positivity, the aim of this collective has always to be, sorry, to, to being to bring like-minded individuals together and highlight the positive, accessible and pragmatic side to living more sustainable lifestyles. Starting off largely events-based, the Use Less project has expanded beyond the realms of swap shops and flea markets, although these continue, which I'm sure they're going to tell us about post-COVID and pre-COVID and what's going on, um, merging into education, advocacy, awareness raising, online content generations, amongst other activities. Welcome to the podcast. Woo! Thank you so much. I, I, hope, I hope that introduction did you some justice. It's, all, it's great for the ego, these yeah. introductions, honestly. I'm going to actually, if we ever, you know, take up WWE or anything along those lines, you can do our, you know, hype man. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, if I start off, where, I suppose, first off, where did you meet and how did this come about? Well, it was a case of a very fortunate serendipity. Um, essentially, it was the, the day, the minute that we kind of, or it was, it was the first 10 minutes that we met and started what was, what's now the Uses Project, which was originally Sustainable Fashion Dublin. And we are two virtual strangers um, who both wanted to kind of do something positive in the, in the sphere of sustainable fashion, um, but really like through the, the mechanism of fun events. Um, and Taz put a call out on her Instagram. I was following Taz because I was writing my podcast. Taz is producing podcasts. And um, so she put up on her Instagram that she was organizing like, a swap shop for like-minded people to come together. And it was the day that I had kind of um, said to my editor at the time that I wanted to move away from the journalism field and do something more positive and kind of act- activism driven. And it was the, the day that I did that. I- Taz's post and I was like boom that's the thing I've been looking for I didn't even realize so hanging her with messages and uh yeah we, we met for a fateful pint um in Grogan's Club in Dublin and yeah within 10 minutes we decided that we kind of recognized that we were very much on the same page um sale fashion soulmates you might say and uh from there I mean we've just been going ever since wow amazing and if we just if i probably what most of my guests i try and go back to a little bit childhood and growing up and education so i don't know taz if you want to take this first just a little bit about childhood growing up um, and career wise where you started before the use less project yeah so i am from a tiny village in the midlands called multiparnum it's just outside mullingar which is in westmead um, and i grew up in a family i had two brothers one older one younger and two wonderful parents. And we kind of, I kind of grew up with the ethos of sustainability, not necessarily to do with the planet per se, but um, just kind of a very wholesome situation, I would say. 
and you know like growing our own veg and you know making clothes and you know food was a huge part of my upbringing as well so I kind of had those values ingrained in me from a very early age but like I said not really with like the planet necessarily in mind and when I was in secondary school I went through a whole most of things that I wanted to be, just like everybody. Um, I think my first one was Minnie Mouse, of course. Then that, I, I realized that, that wasn't a viable option for me, unfortunately. My tail just didn't come in in the way Someday I Someday she looks like Minnie Mouse. <laughs> um, and I wanted to do law for a little bit, and then I wanted to do business. Um, I invented this horse jump when I was like 15 years old for the young social innovators, and ended up in the final and like on the Late Late Show for most okay? So. That, at that point, I was like, I'm an innovator. I'm going to do entrepreneurship. Then I was on the Late Late Show for this jump. And after it, I, my mom was in, it was in the audience. And I was like, mom, feck everything that I've thought about. This glitz and glam, being in front of the camera. This is the new me. Now I've, I've figured it all out. So from that point, I at that point when like probably when I wanted to do business most, I completely changed my mind again and decided that I wanted to do media. So I actually did film and broadcasting in college then, and I got into podcasting. I worked in America for a while in the Cards Against Humanity podcast studio in Chicago. And then I came back here and I helped set up the Dublin Podcast Festival and started kind of like my own one-person production company and produced podcasts for like well-known brands like Jemison and Riverdance and a few other ones like that. And I was doing that up until about two years ago when Jordan and I decided to take the Useless Project on full-time. I'm sorry, am I pronouncing it right? Is it useless or useless? It's so funny. We always see like a flash of fear go across someone's face whenever they're going to, pre- to pronounce the name because we would say the useless project because it's just touching on that useless feeling that people would have in the face of the climate crisis. But it's a double entendre, so you can say useless, useless, whatever. So either works. Or grand. Well, I'm dyslexic, so I might pull that card sometime as well. Mm-hmm. But um, so fantastic. And Taz, I love your Late Late Show story. Once you've got the Late Late Show, you know you've made it, you know? Well, look, I, I look back on it now and uh, I like to say I've changed, but I'd say I'd be the exact same. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Really? Have you? Yeah, you've made me watch it most of the time. That's like, you know, it's like a, a preloaded thing previously on my Tinder. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then um, Geraldine, then just a little bit of, I suppose, a synopsis or your uh, growing up and uh, maybe education. Yeah, well... It's funny, like, because I always say that Taz is like, your sustainability always comes so naturally to Taz and like just everything she kind of did growing up. But for me, it was kind of different because I grew up in a family of five daughters and all of us like big into fashion, but not in any way sustainable fashion, but just like no awareness of sustainability and um, and the kind of negative impact of the fashion industry. But um, we, you know, grew up, in, I grew up in Dublin. So again, none of the lovely vegetable growing um, aspect of my childhood, but I would have been always like a little bit kind of frugal, I think, and um, which would lend itself to sustainability without, without realizing that it was sustainable. I think I was just always a little bit kind of like a, uh, was it like money pincher or penny pincher? Um, so like, you know, I'd hate the thought of food being thrown out because of the fact that I paid for that. So of course I'm going to eat every last thing. And even my parents would have always been very like, you know, food in particular, don't be thrown out anything that uh, you could otherwise be eating, you know, like, um, I feel like it was like Malcolm in the Middle that they had like on Friday, they would have the leftover trifle and it'd be like the leftovers from every day of the week got into the one dish. That was like the kind of thing that would be happening in my house. But um, so I never really had much of an interest in sustainability or the climate, if I'm being totally honest, growing up. But I was really interested in like um, kind of creativity and I, I loved fashion, but I loved it 
feel like I, I made my own clothes for a while when I was in fifth year, I think it was, and did like a dressmaking course. And then again, um, I mean, I love the idea of the, the idea that, you know, clothing can carry memories. So again, pre-sustainability, but I loved going to um, charity shops and thrift shops and, and um, flea markets in particular. I just love the idea of like talking to someone about an item of clothing and all the memories that they had and, and then, you know, giving a new lease of life. And so all that kind of side of things, um, was, was where my probably interest kind of came from. But uh, then going to third level education, I originally did social work in Trinity. Um, I had a bit, big kind of like, I wanna do something good in the world and tried to be a social worker. I did that for two years and then dropped out because I just, God bless any social workers out there. I just wasn't cut out for it. Um, and then went into creative and cultural industries in DIT, which is, I'm trying to say, is basically doing transition year for um, an undergrad. Uh, like it was just random it was like you know a bit of PR here a bit of film studies there French um, like cookery it was all just mashed in together and um, then I came away did so social media was the social media manager for Happy Pear then went into writing and did journalism was writing for uh, women's fashion magazine image magazine so the irony being that that was like kind of where I came from was the exact entity that you're trying to rage against now this kind of promotion of consumerism um, and then came to see the light and now haven't looked back since brilliant thank you for the going back uh, and giving us such a, a, a sharp a sharp synopsis so if we go back to that point in um hogan's or grogan's 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 don't get it wrong tom don't get it wrong grogan's no. okay so if we go back to that point um if you think back to your concept idea to where you're at now Will you just talk to us a little bit about how it started? Yeah. So basically what happened was I was doing this random thing from, from my podcasting. I kind of had like a small following online. Like, I mean, really small, but I was micro influencer. <laughs> micro, 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 micro. I like um, that. <laughs> <laughs> not even like, not even, you couldn't even say influencer, friends and family. Yeah. Um, but basically I was, I always dressed in charity shop clothes, always, always, always. And people used to always ask me, you know, like, how do you charity shop? How do you find these gems? And people were asking this more and more. So I thought, Beck, I may as well do something online to show people the wonders that can be found in charity shops. So I started doing this thing called like charity shop Monday sneak peeks, where like I'd go to a different area of Dublin and show what can be found in the charity shops there. Because we're so lucky they tend to be in clusters in Dublin. So like I go to Finsborough, there's four charity shops there and just take a, a picture of some of the selection of things that can be found there. Anyway, that kind of gained a little bit of traction. People kind of became interested in it. And I realized that people were interested in the circular economy and buying clothing that wasn't engaging in fast fashion, but didn't really know how. So I thought it could be kind of fun to organize a little swap shop. Now, what I intended to do was to get like 10 people into a pub, everybody bring five items of clothing, throw them on the table, and we can just like, you know, switch. But I just put that up in my story, basically like, hey, I'm looking to swap clothes. Is anybody interested? That's what Geraldine got in contact with me about. She was following me because she was writing my podcast. So that was actually originally what we met up to do. And we had no idea what, like, what, like the intention was of us meeting up. We didn't know each other. We didn't really know anything about each other. And when we got together and I pitched this idea, I was kind of like a bit more whimsical. So I was like, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. And Geraldine was amazing to be like, okay, if we're doing this, let's pick a date. What do we do? Let's set up an Instagram account tomorrow. Let's do this. Like Geraldine is so good at like making shit happen. So like, I think like at that time, at that, that first day we organized our first event and we actually didn't go for a swap shop. We actually thought that a charity shop crawl would be a little, a little bit better. So we brought a group of people on a trail through Dublin's charity shops, so like a pub crawl, but for charity shops. Um, and then kind of from that, we just realized that it kind of, the interest was there and people wanted to, they wanted to kind of avoid fast fashion, but just didn't 
really know how and it just snowballed it was kind of a right place right time situation um but also just it was just like we kind of like built this really lovely community from the get-go and it just snowballed and we started doing more and more events the interest was there we started doing monthly flea markets every single weekend we had events and then with that our online community grew as well which is a massive part of what we do probably half if not more of what we do with the stuff that we do online in education you know putting up you know doing a, a vast amount of research on a topic and then educating people on it so say for example we'll look into climate migration and like break it down in kind of like a two-minute video or we'll look at the issues of greenwashing and break it down just trying to make this kind of jargon that people don't really know how to approach a bit more accessible to understand um, and then yeah that, that's that's essentially it it's kind of it's kind of just grown before our eyes and it's so much fun we just love doing it and have Irish people been good, like, and open to it all or standoffish with sustainability or have, how have you found, found it? No, absolutely. Like, that's exactly what we mean. Like, as in, it, it, like, we weren't anticipating that this would be a full-time job at all. It's supposed to just be a side passion project. And then because of the enthusiasm and uh, the reactions we were getting from, like, the people in the ether, then that kind of spurred us on to keep going. Um, like, I think there definitely had been this perception around sustainability sustainable fashion that it was boring drab shapeless dresses a lot of hem you know itchy kind of preachy rhetoric you know trousers made out of granola just inaccessible um and what like and i would have actually to be honest thought that as well like when i and especially you know a lot of the brands out there that are inherently sustainable would be so expensive as well that i just was like look that's not for someone like me like i, I could never be sustainable with my wardrobe because i can't afford that but what we were just really passionate about showing um is that like you know fashion can be or sustainable fashion can be fun it still can be colorful and if anything it can be more so and like you know it's such a better opportunity to express your own individual style because i suppose with fast fashion and kind of um, presents this like blueprint or model for like you know a plus b equals c if you wear this this and this you will be like inverted commas fashionable or stylish but what we would always try to encourage is for people to embrace their own inner style as opposed to just following the trends and and following what um fast fashion labels set out so um that was our whole thing just trying to show that actually it doesn't have to be the gray beige boring it can be colorful and it can be really accessible it's more often than not like far cheaper actually to go sustainable truly sustainable because like, the true sustainable clothing is by not needing to buy new it's actually by wearing it's already in circulation and that's you know a, a fraction of the price that you'd get um, new in the high street shops so um that's that's what we were really passionate about doing just like kind of trying to turn the the public perception and it seems like people responded really well because i think as well another thing that i would think is that like this kind of preachy holier than thou like you're either in it or you're not and um, you know kind of black and white perception of engaging in sustainability again neither of us are perfect in that respect so i think by showing people that look we're trying our best and we invite you to join us and like learn with us we're not experts like on anything to be honest you know we're just learning and we're trying to educate ourselves as much as possible and we want to share with you the information we have i think people responded well to that and we were a little bit lighthearted and kind of tried to inject a bit of fun and personality and, and lols into it as we went and it worked brilliant and so if we if we're talking about any listeners maybe getting some tips for sustainability i think i'm pretty good now you can shoot me down i recycle my clothes to the charity shop I use my green bin. I have my brown bin for my food. I glasses. I'm trying to think what else I do. If any listeners there, is there any, a good place to start? Mm. Like we, so uh, although we're talking a lot about sustainable fashion, kind of in the last year and a half, we've really 
um, went beyond sustainable fashion. We do a lot in the realm of food waste as well. We, we always say that like sustainable fashion is almost like the gateway drug into sustainability. And a lot of people who are coming to our events, we're looking for more. And um, so we do a lot in the world of food waste and food sustainability. And that's probably what I would say is the best place to start because although fashion, everybody wears clothing, so everybody's engaged in sustainable fashion, even more so than that everybody has to eat food. Everybody buys, eats, disposes of food. So the way in which that we do purchase food and ultimately dispose of it and use it is in a massive way, massive, massive, massive way we can cut down our water and our carbon footprint. So even if we look at the amount of food that we're wasting, you know, like one third of all food that's produced across the globe every single year goes to waste one third. So like think, for example, if you're bringing home three bags of shopping, one of those bags of shopping is essentially going to, the, to, to in, in the bin. And, you know, where you wonder what that is, that's like, you know, the, the tiny little bit of food that's left at the end of your dinner, or it's when you top and tail a carrot, or it's if you don't eat the heels of the bread, like all of those things add up and huge amounts of resources go into producing that food for it ultimately to be wasted is just completely unsustainable. And it's really unethical as well, because, you know, there's over a billion starving people on the planet. And with the fact that we are wasting food and it's just become so normal for us to waste bread to waste food like think of the bread thing that like you don't eat the heels that's just kind of normal it's and it's why like what like what who, who has decided that it's bizarre and um, but that happens for so many different food types so just putting down the food you're wasting and trying to take stock of you know what you are putting into the bin and making sure that you are like you said um using your food waste bin your brown bin and um, composting where possible because any food that's put into a general waste bin uh, produces methane gas, which is 100 times more damaging to the planet than CO2. Well, I think about 30 times. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was like, ah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I miss, I miss a lot, ever so slight exaggeration. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up my facts, sorry. <laughs> Don't worry, it's all good. I can hear your passion. No, I'm thinking of, this is so embarrassing. I'm thinking of, the diesel that we that is used oh, yeah, in cargo yeah. ships okay, to get our food to us yeah. is a hundred times dirtier than the diesel that we use in our cars. So like that's how it accrues such a massive carbon footprint when food actually gets to us. Sorry, with food waste, um, it's when you put food into the general waste bin, the way in which it decomposes, air isn't allowed to circulate. So it produces gas that's 30 times more damaging to the planet than CO2. CO2 is obviously carbon, it's, it's all these emissions that we're hearing about. When we put our food into the food waste bin, into the compost bin, the way in which it decomposes, air is allowed to circulate, produces the CO2, which is so much less damaging to the planet. So just by number one, trying not to waste food, and number two, whatever food is going to waste, and that food is like peels, you know, it's you know, the peels of a, a cap, uh, you know, potato, whatever, all that stuff is going into your food waste bin, it makes a massive difference. Brilliant. And Ladies, if we flip to here a personal experience I'd recently, and it's new to me, and you can tell how much I shop. I won't mention the brand. I was sent down to a shopping center in South Dublin, and I was told to bring old clothes, and they gave a voucher. Now, there was two parts of me. Part of me was like, wow, this is very good. It's a good incentive. But then there was part of me like, they just want me to spend more money in this shop. What would what's your thoughts? Are brands being good and transparent, or are they just trying to, I suppose, move with the trends? Yeah, in short, uh, no, they're not being transparent. They're not being good, um, and it's unfortunate because you know people like you, like they're trying to make the best decisions. They they hear about this, you know, great system of like bringing back clothing. Oh well, that's engaging the circular economy. I'm hearing about how important it is for recycling clothes, all that kind of stuff. When actually, you know, they're saying we'll take back your clothes, and they're not providing any information as to what happens after they hit 
back their toes. So there's that side of things, but also the fact that then the incentive is to give you a voucher that makes you buy more, which is kind of propelling this completely unsustainable level of consumerism, which is like, it, it's, there's nothing sustainable about that kind of a model. So like, you know, although these kind of brands are bringing out like their conscious collection and, you know, their you know organic cotton jeans collection all that's kind of stuff and they're like see look guys we're making all the positive changes we can it's like no because the the way you're producing clothing the the amount of clothing the vast quantity of clothing that you are producing is so unsustainable because you have to think about you know even if it's so by and large the clothing that we're buying nowadays are made from synthetic fibers so that's the polyester the spandex the nylon and that's all made from from oil so it's effectively as plastic as you know the the plastic cutlery in your um local shop or whatever um but also so there's the, all the problems associated with that but then also even if it's a natural fiber like cotton you think of like the amount of water that is used to make even a cotton t-shirt it's like you know equivalent to one person's drinking water for like two anywhere between two and four years i mean it's bonkers and then as well dye to, to the dye that is used to dye clothing is one of the biggest polluters of water um water polluters like worldwide and it's, it's really really detrimental to the health of our water and this is water that people might have to drink or grow their crops with there's just so many problems associated with it so when you think about how problematic clothing production is on a small level and then if you look at it on a macro level the amount of clothing that this brand is producing you kind of can recognize that actually nothing they do is going to make them sustainable so long as they keep producing clothing in this way and it also, I think that, again, that brand that shall not be named, they want you to forget about the old clothing. They want it out of your mind so that you can just buy more, so that you don't open your wardrobe and say, oh, I don't need to buy more. They want you to open your wardrobe and say, oh, my wardrobe's actually empty now, so I can refill it with stuff. And they kind of completely paint over the question of where is this clothing going? You know, like what is happening, this clothing? And for the most part, it's, it's going to one of two places. Firstly, you could just be going to textile recycling, which sounds great, but ultimately that clothing is being chopped up and being used. You know, if you're lucky in like maybe like arenas or like in stuffing for pillows and all that kind of stuff, but it is just being chopped up. So it's perfectly good clothing that's just being completely wasted. It's being destroyed. Like that's not going back on a hanger. That's not going back on a hanger. Or alternatively, it's being sent to places like places in Africa where, you know, there's, there's like in Kenya, for example, they've an amazing textile industry and what's happening is our clothing is being sent there in such vast quantities saturating their market and completely reducing the price at which they can sell their items of clothing that are made by hand incredible you know like their whole everything the whole industry is being undermined it's being undermined by us sending over our clothing that we don't want and we are ruining like we are ruining these kind of communities in, in different on different continents by you know by sending over our clothing that we don't want anymore and assuming that they do yeah it's it's very interesting because you're at to open my eyes when i see these vans uh cash for clothes when i see all these different things i do often wonder i was like i'm sure once there's money to be made someone's making money at the end of the line with this whether it's and people think they're doing a good thing they're maybe recycle them or reusing them so it's very interesting to get get your opinion and perspective on that and um, just Back on one thing, just on, I suppose, Irish people as a whole. I was having a conversation with my future mother-in-law um, over last week, and I was explaining that I was having your, both yourselves on the program. And she talked about her era of growing up 
and getting hand-me-down or getting clothes was the, was the known thing. We all did it. I got clothes off my cousins, whatever it might be. We all got clothes. We wore our sisters or brothers, no matter what we did it. Then she mentioned that there was a stage where that's not good enough. We all need to have brand new, fresh clothes and needs to be the best of the best. I can see it now. And she mentioned you could see it now that everyone's turning full circle where vintage, recycling, upcycling, is it the cool and trendy thing or what's happening? Yeah, I mean, like what we'd always say is like, you know, our solutions to the various problems, like we're not reinventing the wheel here. Pretty much by and large, what, all the kind of advice that we give is, is literally just kind of turning back the, t- the tide of time and like going back to basics. So, you know, we'd always say that the original sustainable fashion queens were our grannies because they were just practical with their clothing. They actually invested in quality as opposed to quantity. They stole clothing as investments. They looked after it. They wore it down to their bare last threads and they mended it you know if a button fell over top because they had actually spent money on they could see the value in this item of clothing they would you know make it their mission to sew back on the button or you know mend back up a rip and they had these skills and the skills were being passed down but then i suppose kind of convenience culture came in came in and same way it did with food and like you know suddenly everyone from making home cooked meals to microwave meals and say like 50s and 60s well and kind of from the between the 80s and 90s and thereafter it became very much about convenience culture we started seeing clothing as being disposable because the price of clothing went down um, and it meant that then there was no need to pass on these skills such as sewing and mending because people recognized that actually you know clothing was so cheap that it was probably you know by and large better off to just buy something new than not having to spend your you know invest time and effort into um, mending it and off as well not only was it cheap but it was of such poor quality like you know with the fast fashion model it's it's incredibly fast made clothing but made at a really poor quality again, again there's so many correlations between the fashion industry and the food industry like it's fast fashion fast food it's it's just low quality produce made at a really really fast pace so um that's why unfortunately you know all those skills are lost but it's great that we're seeing like you know these resurgence of interest you know even in the workshops we would have hosted pre-covid and even kind of virtually um during covid um you know it's, it's upcycling skills it's, it's sewing and you know people are recognizing as well that actually by engaging in these kind of simple actions it's almost acting like uh, like a vote for the kind of future that they want to see and it's it's almost becoming like a political statement by wearing an item of clothing that has like a mending scar, you know, it's like walking around with your war wounds. But um, so it, 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 look, it's, it's positive because we, we are seeing a visible shift in the way people see their clothing and their willingness to um, mend and not be, feel embarrassed about it. Because again, I think in the past, in the same way, there was this weird trend of people feeling like they couldn't wear the clothing more than once as if like we we're all Victoria Beckham and each other's paparazzi. But anyway, um, so it's great that anyway, we're seeing people kind of re- reversing from that and um, trying to actually value their clothing again. Awesome. And uh, if, if I flip for a second and um, just mentioned COVID there, when I would have, as I mentioned, how we connected through my cousin Owen, who's actually the best man for my wedding next Wednesday. But anyway, um. I see you doing a pop-up shop um, in Bread 41. You're doing lots of events. You're working with big brands. Talk to me a little bit about how, I suppose, COVID affected his boat. Well, I suppose before COVID, our whole business model was getting people together to bring anything like pre-loved, anything that's been lying around their house for questionably hygienic, questionably hygienic. Let's like maul each other's clothes, run out of rail in a swap shop. Like when you take a list of uncovered friendly businesses, we're the crown to the crown. We are yeah. that cherry on the top. top. 
So when um, when kind of COVID hit, I remember whatever date it was that the school, it was a Thursday and on the Friday schools were not going to go in on Thursday. It was like, that's it. Jordan and I went for lunch on the Thursday and we had probably like at any given time in our calendar, we'd have about 30 events. Like, cause we used to go into schools and do workshops. We did a lot of corporate stuff. So like we'd go into the likes of Facebook or Airbnb and do like basic consulting workshops, that kind of thing. So we had about 30 events lined up and over the course of our lunch in an hour, we were just getting like ding, 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 email, 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 cancelled. And it kind of, you know, I'm, I moved back home to Mullingar. Geraldine, of course, was still in Dublin, ran lap. And to be honest, for like two weeks, we really were like, what are we going to do? Like this, like- I what? thought we were done this. I thought we were done too. Like it was really, really about like, what are we going to do? And then I think what happened in COVID, what we saw was that people were taking the opportunity while they were at home to slow down and to really kind of get back to the basics. So we thought, you know, like, let's get involved in this and let's help people on that journey. So we started doing, you know, like more cooking videos. We started doing more videos on like how to preserve food, like pickling videos. We started to do more deep dives on kind of like different aspects of sustainability. We, you know, started moving all of the workshops that we did with businesses online because a lot of the time people, you know, who are in the workspace in front of a Zoom call, however many a day, however many hours a day, however many days a week, you know, it's so tiring that corporates get us in to do like a lighthearted workshop on like how to make your own oat milk or, or something along those lines. So we kind of very swiftly actually moved essentially everything that we did online and we tried to do the corporate stuff, the stuff with schools as well, but then try to continuously engage the community that used to come to our events by doing it online. And um, it was difficult for sure because we really we really thrived off the energy we used to get from events. Like really, that's kind of like the reason that we did this. And after every event, we'd always go for a pint. We're like, oh, that was just so lovely. So it is quite difficult doing Zooms, even if it's to a thousand people. We tell a joke and I laugh at Geraldine's jokes that I've heard a hundred times. And she laughed at mine that I heard a But yeah, so like it is, it's character building for sure. Um, but we, to be honest, like it, it, it worked out for us. You know, I think as well, it managed, it, it, it made us, it made us able to give our presentations and talks to a wider group of people and made it more accessible to people. Like, because when we were doing the events IRL, it was kind of, you know, so many people from Dublin are like from various areas that could actually travel to Dublin. But over the last 12 months, we've done talks for, you know, Accenture, Diwali, India on like how to have a sustainable Diwali. We did a, a talk for a company in America on how to have a sustainable Hanukkah. And we've just managed to do a lot more with kind of the same content that we were putting out. So. It's been difficult, but we've managed. It's very interesting you say that. Uh, my business, I have a corporate wellness business and we work with the likes of some large corporate clients like HubSpot, Wix and stuff like that. And like that, at the time, there was bing, bing, bing emails. Uh, we're canceling on-site's done. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do at the time? And it took me a good week or two to actually go, hold on, we need to create a hybrid here. There has to be a virtual aspect of the business. People are still going to be want to be active and, and doing workshops and keeping fit. So it's very interesting on that. Just, just um, I suppose you mentioned, you touched um, Taz just on um, education and kids. For sustainability, is, it's probably simple, but is that where it should all start in school? Oh, for sure. Big time. I think what's happened is that there's a loss of value and a loss of connection. Like we have, we've lost the connection of where our food comes from we've lost the connection of where our clothing comes from with, with kind of like the society that we're living in right now everything is just available at our fingertips that we just don't really question things anymore and I think what it really comes down to is slowing down and you know getting those values back 
you know, in the in the kind of mindsets of children, for them to know where a carrot comes from, for them to know how to sew back on a button, you know, those things are really, really important. And it's that loss of connection that has lost any sort of value that we put in those industries. Like if you knew how long it took you to grow, if you know how long it took to grow a carrot, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, it wouldn't feel right buying a bag of them for 45 cents, you know, mm -hmm. if you knew the huge amount of resources or even the time that goes into making an item of clothing you would question why a t-shirt is five euro how is that you know how is that ethical in any capacity so i think it does definitely start with children and learning those skills and learning the value in those things um, and i think i think that is coming around i think that it's young people maybe not like children children but teenagers now are kind of like the the largest growing section of the population that seem to be engaging in this sustainability movement you know the school strikes on a friday they were all young people so many young people now are you know saying no to fast fashion you know like we always give the example of forever 21 was this fast fashion retailer in dublin and it was you know all over the place and like ads with the name forever 21 it's kind of like targeting this youth market and it was poor quality clothing that was really really cheap everything was like under a tenner and it was targeting this market that, you know, up until like five, six years ago, that's what they wanted. And, you know, recently Forever 21 closed down. And the exact reason for that is because the young people that they were targeting are the people who are becoming increasingly concerned about the planet. And they don't want this junk anymore. You know, they're the uh, section of the planet that are all over Depop, that are, you know, doing meat-free Mondays or are turning to a vegan diet. So I think the interest is definitely there, but it has to start in schools. Like that is it's essential and the unfortunate reality is the children that are in schools right now are going to be the age demographic who are really going to be dealing with climate change like they are going to feel the effects of climate change when they are our age they're going to be they're going to be seeing it so yeah it's it's, def it's essential it's, it's it's essential that it's intertwined in our education system at this point yeah um and just you mentioned debop there that i hear now this is how a stone age i am that am i right in saying that's vintage clothing or uh reselling of yeah second yeah, clothing and am i right in saying etsy bought it for 1.3 billion there like yeah. this week mm -hmm. so obviously the market is obviously going which is fantastic to see and the more obviously sustainable the better um geraldine just one thing you have pivoted and gone virtual and you're doing workshops virtually when we're out of COVID, where do you see the useless project going or what do you see next for, I suppose, the both is? We've got big plans. Yes. Big plans. Word domination is, yeah. is typically top of the list. Um, but yeah, we, we've got some kind of secret, top secret plans uh, for bigger and better things to come. Uh, I hate when people say that, so sorry. But uh, that, that's true. So I posted you on the mailing list. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, basically kind of more events. I'd love to go back to like, I mean, like we always say our, our flea market was probably the favorite thing that we did before COVID. And um, so I can't wait to get them up and running. I feel like it kind of embodies the, 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 our favorite parts of our job. It's a very much about the community. It's and seeing people like, you know, small businesses, you know, trying to like lift them up as we go as well. And um, seeing them engage with people, people being so enthusiastic to discover new businesses that are doing things sustainably. Um, also people giving you know passing on their clothing like I said at the start like you know passing on the memories and sharing all these memories of clothing and people being so excited about getting something new that you know has come from a good person anyway that's I, I can't wait for us to get back to flea markets in particular but um, just events like just being being part of something because I think the last year it's been I've just been isolating in so many ways uh, like physically mentally emotionally but um so I really can't wait to to bring back events and hopefully get that sense of community back 
yeah you, human contact we can't beat it as human beings we need it and um, if you don't mind i'm very conscious of your time and i appreciate it. it's been great so far i could talk all day to you about sustainability because i'm getting ed- an education and i can't yeah. wait to listen back to this because i'll be making notes but um if i fire some uh quick fire questions at you that i throw some of my guests um is there anything that stands out so far, I suppose, of your journey that is would be like a big highlight? Was it an event or so far that something happened? I would say probably in terms of recognition would be our collaboration with Owen from Bread 41 and Guinness, making the zero waste beer from bread that would have otherwise gone to waste in Bread 41. I think that that was, it was an amazing turning point for us because again, it was credibility, not only from the big brand like Guinness, but it also really opened people's minds to what could be done. You know, when like, when you see a big brand like that engaging with the sustainability movement and um, people's ears prick. And I think it's, yeah, I think it was just really, really cool. And it was, you know, it was a, a collaboration that, that a lot of people seemed to value and think was cool. And yeah, I think to be honest, like as selfish as it sounds, I think that was like recognition wise, that was a big one for us because, you know, the Jesus project was just our own little homegrown passion project. So, for the likes of Guinness to reach out to us. It was kind of validation. Yeah. Brilliant. I always think back to our first ever event um, and it was this charity shop crawl that we were like so nervous about. Also, we honestly didn't really know each other at all. So it was kind of a little bit like, ah, I don't know what we're doing here. And uh, six people came on this charity shop crawl and uh, it was an absolute disaster from start to finish. It was torrential rain. We were running from shop to shop. People were buying clothes in one shop and running because you get like, you know, whatever random bags to put your clothing in and so it was like paper bags and by the time they got to the next shop they were just carrying these empty bags because the bottom had disintegrated with the rain and there was clothes strewn all over the path and uh, I remember by the end of it I think a few people had kind of actually dropped out because it uh, was they were so sodden and soaked and um, but I just remember after myself and Taz like the, the excitement and the feeling of like that was so positive that was so fun this is what like we have to do more of these. And I feel like just thinking back to that moment because it was so small, such a teeny tiny event and like kind of a disaster, but the, the, the sense of excitement is really actually like the, the, the thing that kind of spurred us on to do what we do now, which is a full-time job. And it's amazing to see that that was like such a teeny tiny seed and now it's grown into this big old juicy tree. Yeah, it's great. I think it, th- those lessons and journeys, you need them. You have to look back on them to see yeah. how far you've come sometimes. Yeah. Um, question to you both separately. Um, is there any daily habits that would be non-negotiables for you? Oh, like that are sustainable habits or? or no, just in general. Like I ask that sometimes some people meditate, some people have to read a book, some people have to exercise a certain amount of day, go for a walk, get some fresh air. Is there anything that would be a non-negotiable for you for daily, both these for daily habits? Yeah. yeah. You go. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like a dog. Like I have to go on a walk. Like I have to go, go on at least a 40 minute walk a day. Um, and then I'm fine. But otherwise I just get jittery and anxious and so walk. Yeah. And mine is like, it's probably a bit of an obscure, obscure one, but it's, it's the truth. And it's always been that way that like, I have to spend time putting an outfit together that I like. And I, for the most part, I will plan what I'm going to wear the day before. And like, oh yeah, always. Oh, like always. I couldn't like, I, it's just something that I, I like it. Like it's, it's like, a spurt of creativity in the morning like and it, it, it gets me going like I could never it, it would stress me out if I didn't have planned what I was going to wear the night before and it's not like I know it sounds like a vanity thing but it's not it's kind of like me going to bed knowing that like I have a, a leg up on the next day because when I get out of bed I've got that April plan that like I put a bit of time and thought and consideration into it. I know my earrings match my trousers or whatever it's kind of just like 
a nice start to the day. Always for years and years and years. Brilliant. And um, is there, I love that there's two on this call because I get both different answers, both your own opinions. Is there an, a piece of technology or an app that you have used, used daily that you'd recommend to any listeners that have helped you? Um, let me think. Like other than Tinder? The- <laughs> <laughs> um, Normally people say WhatsApp, Gmail, whatever. Yeah, they use like, organized Actually, I don't know if you saw that like, Spotify brought out, you know, they Spotify does like the wrapped every single year. They brought out a new feature this morning. It was like your individual playlist. And I was just like watching. I was like, Spotify is just the most unbelievable resource. Now I am well aware it pays. It's, you know, all the artists such a criminal amount of money. So it's probably exploitation. But like the fact that we have so much music and information and podcasts at our fingertips in that way, like I will never be over it. Like music is (laughs) such a massive part of my life. And even just discovering new artists on Spotify and knowing that there's songs that I can go back to if I'm happy. There's my happy songs, there's my sad songs, there's just songs that you can discover. You know, there's podcasts like Song Exploder, which I adore, which, you know, gets artists to break down their songs. And then from that, I'll listen to that artist's album. And like, just Spotify's amazing. How lucky are we? I was chatting to my dad about it. And because I got a record player for Christmas and uh, he gave me loads of his old records and he gave me a couple of Steely Dan, Steely Dan records. Steely Dan are his favorite band. And I was listening to one of his records and he messaged me and said hey I'm listening to one of your playlists on Spotify it's so amazing and it's so funny that like I'm valuing his record and he's valuing because he can't believe that this and I I can't believe how cool a record is you know and but music and Spotify I went on a big time uh, beeline there but you're lucky that's (laughs) brilliant um I I think my dad will be happy at that he's a big Steely Dan fan and I actually went to see them a couple of years back in uh, the point or three arena or whatever it was when they were here but yeah great band um What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I would probably say I like to think that I live by uh, a mantra of like, feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, I think I have a, a pretty good sense in my gut when there's something that really terrifies me that, you know, every kind of orifice of my body is saying like, well, I don't want to do it. Then I'm like, I have to do it. It must be done. So I feel like even like going back to it again and again, like the, that time when I messaged Taz, there was a bit of me being like, oh, I don't want to mess with her. Like she's going to think I'm a freak. And it was like, there was no choice in the matter then because it was like, okay, well, I have to do it. The fact that it scares me just feels like something that has to be done. So um, I would say feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. And I think that like similar to that man, it sounds so hippy dippy, but like, you know, to like enjoy what you're doing. Like at the end of the day, we were put on this planet to, to live our lives essentially, you know? And like, if you're not, enjoying your daily life if you're not liking what you do what's the point like don't forget to have fun along the way and um, you know like it is it's at the, at the end of the day when you're on your deathbed you can be so successful you can have an amazing family but like you have to have had fun or what's the point so sometimes I think you, you need a reminder to not take life so seriously and remember to be a kid own actually your best man next Wednesday said today that like you know you're you can spend so much of your youth trying to be an adult and then you spend so much of your adulthood trying to be a child so just enjoy the journey be silly and have fun along the way yeah my mom has a bit of a mantra like that she always says to me she's like just enjoy it she's like this is not a rehearsal we're not coming back yeah. to you. you know she always says that to me okay last two okay so i'm gonna get two answers to this okay. i love it if you could have a meal with five people dead or alive who would it be will we collaborate on this answer yeah this is a hard go one. go Okay. You can have six. I'll give you six then. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, like, needless to say, we would have to be together. 
obviously. But like, Good. that's one ticked off no, list. No, no, we can have six others. Okay, six others. Okay. okay. But we're both at the table. So there's eight. We're both at the table, okay. not including you. Fine. Okay. Uh, well, I would definitely want, like, you'd want someone, case okay, who's like, going to be cracked, someone who's going to tell some stories, someone who's going to be a bit crazy, doing shots through her eyeballs, and um, someone who... Like, okay. educate Somebody who's, like, a mind-boggling yeah. brain. Okay, so I would I would love my ultimate crush, Louis Theroux. I feel like he'd have good story size, kind of quirky, funny, not bad to look at. What, I mean, I think that's a good guest. Yeah, I think as well we'll need some, like, somebody who's, like, amazing... Maybe maybe like a Nobel Peace Prize winner, like maybe someone mm. like Malala. Yeah, Malala. Okay, she's in. She's in. Um, Ashling B. I'm very a big funny. fan of her. She's very funny, also very into sustainability. We could have good chats. I also would like like a rogue wild card, like Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think oh, like okay. and then and then also, and then also David Attenborough. Yeah, I'd yeah, love yeah, to yeah, see yeah. the the kind of chemistry between Anthony Kiedis and yeah. David Attenborough. So yes. how many is that? I think that's five. You've won more. Yeah. So what do we have? We've got the brains. We've got the music. We've got the sustainability. Um, we've got the law. My last two guests have mentioned they want Adolf Hitler. Oh, oh no. no. And Keith Barry is my last guest and he said Hitler. I was like, okay. okay. Put that in the maybe pile. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, who else did we want? Uh, oh, wait, what are we thinking about? Jamie Oliver? Like a bit, oh, a bit boring. A bit okay, snore. No, sorry. I said a bit snore. Okay. <laughs> Um, I can see you don't agree on everything. It's great. <laughs> God, we really should have thought about this. Another person. James Acaster. Do you know him? He's my favorite comedian. He's so. Running. If you want to, we can. Yeah. Have him. Okay. Done. <laughs> if you want, we can have. Him. I love it. Okay. Last things then. Book recommendations, podcasts, anything that have helped you along your journey so far. He's loved that you think would add value to the listeners. Yeah, my number one podcast. That has is always like John, just give it a break. Is uh, how to save a planet. It's this um, uh, sustainability podcast by who is it by? Is it like the New York Times? No, it's Gimlet, I think. Oh, it's Gimlet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's fantastic. It's like gives loads. It goes into deep dive by different subjects. But um, I just I love their kind of like approach. Very kind of you know inviting and, and open as opposed to like boo 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 and, and it's not boring. But Taz is always like give the sustainability. But Jeremy will give me. I'll get a WhatsApp from Gerald at like, you know, like 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, but just listen to this amazing, amazing podcast on uh, carbon emissions in China. And I'm like, take a day off, Geraldine. Come on, come on <laughs> the cross. Um, what do I, okay, I, I, love, I love books that kind of allow you to see people's lives from a different perspective, that kind of like put you, that you get put in somebody else's shoes. One of my all-time favorite books is a children's book and it's called Wonder. And it's basically this boy, he was like face disfigurement. He just like doesn't look like a normal human being. And different chapters are one chapter is how he sees the world. Another chapter is like how other people see him. And it kind of just opened my eyes to like how like how perceptive we are of what we think a, a person should be. I just really like that. Um, and girl, woman, other last year I think was the man Booker prize Bernard, Bernadine Evaristo super book. Love it. I'm also I have to say I'm bad into Jerry Hussey I'm sure you know him you know Jerry know. quite well yeah we worked oh together yeah. oh I'm listening to his book that he just brought out his voice is lovely and calming but like I, just, I feel like you know the, the last year has been so kind of mentally difficult for so many people myself included and it just it's giving me such a fresh perspective so if anyone's struggling out there I'd really well, well two things I was literally just wasn't going to do this for a while I was um I was in the bookshop today and one you might like, I, I got recommended is Seth Rogen's book. Oh. And it's supposed to be very funny and very honest. So, and I wouldn't normally buy a comedian book. I'd be more entrepreneurial. 
And then I don't know if you've heard of this girl in the UK, Grace Beverly. No. Um, working hard or hardly working. I got recommended that. So um, I've, yeah. as I said, I've been told I, I have too many men in my life, so I need to get more women in my life. Oh, yeah, yeah. So listen, can I just say it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, the time has flown. We could have just done another hour, I'm sure. Um, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. Where can people stay connected with you and find you guys? So you can find us at The Users Project on Instagram. We're actually on uh, TikTok now, which, oh, I don't know, it's kind of terrifying. Young people. How's your dancing? Oh, like not very good. But, um, and also www.theusersproject.com or else info at project. Sorry, info at theusersproject.com. Yes. Yes. Great. And all your events will be live once everything's post-COVID and we're out of it. Absolutely. Watch this. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. So lovely chatting to you.